Today we go big on one of the smallest rifles of either world war. We clear up all those Carcano model names, variants, commons, and rares. We'll answer the million dollar question, is there anything worth buying at RTI? And as always, we hit the market trends, trivia, and spin the wheel of Milserp, all revolving around our Milserp of the show, the Carcano Cavalry Carbine. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today we are talking about the cool and copacetic Carcano Cavalry Carbine. On the season, man. <laughs> now, right away, I want to say I'm a carbine guy. And Kelly, I know you're a carbine guy, so. I am. I do say carbine. I sometimes say carbine, but I usually say carbine. But we did look it up and we recently learned it should be carbine, but I'm too far gone. So today I'm saying carbine regardless. Can't help it. But whatever. I can't change it. I always figured, you know, it's like a combine, like on a farm. So combine, carbine, it's not a combine. Well, that's not from the French, so <laughs> I'm with the French. So we're discussing this rifle today, partly because it's a fun one that checks a lot of boxes in the collecting world, like uh, being from both World War One and World War Two, and from a major power. So it's a fun one. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to check a lot of boxes if you don't have anything in... Six five. You don't have anything Italian. You don't have anything World War One, World War Two. Don't have any Manlickers, etc. And it's also very popular these days due to a number of these online retailers getting loads of them and selling them at you know dirt cheap. Yeah, it is probably the last cheap Milserp that there will ever be, which is a pr- a pretty sad thing to say, but it's probably true. And I agree, and the Mosins I thought would hang around for a while, but those are gone. Yep. Now we got $500 9130s. And we'll get into one of the online stores, Royal Tiger Imports, later, known as RTI. Very, fun. Very, two, kind of two ends of the spectrum on how people feel, feel about them. So would you say they have a reputation? Uh, they're divisive <laughs> is certainly a word for it. But yes, they definitely have... A reputation. Yeah, we'll get into it later, but there's definitely, you see one person get something good, and that keeps the ball rolling for a long time. Yeah, and they're, I guess, one of the few retailers that still has a bunch of stuff you can just go buy online. Right, it's simple. And and we've both seen and purchased some newly produced 6.5 Carcana ammo, so, you know, these rifles are looking better and better these days. Oh yeah, there's... Finally, uh, some new ammo on the market from Castos Curios. Shout out to him and those guys over there making that ammo for these old Milserps. Always welcome to have more ammo on the market. And I suggest go check out the website because the artwork on the boxes is phenomenal. It's worth it just for the boxes. Sounds oh, dumb, yeah. but it, it is. Take a look. Yep. I'm, I'm, I make my own ammo, but I still bought a box of a couple of different calibers just because they're cool to look at. Now, have you ever drawn a box and designed your own box for your own ammo? I can't say I have. <laughs> Other than writing writing in Sharpie on a piece of electrical tape. <laughs> All right, so before we jump into the firearm specifics and the market trends and the RTI stories, let's kick it over to our resident historian, me, to get a quick origin story of this cavalry carbine. Take it, Tom. Hey, thanks, fellas. As is the case with firearm development in this era, the invention of smokeless powder by the French kicked the world into gear, and Italy was no exception. And in the late 1880s, they began a quest for their own smokeless cartridge. 
The new powder-enabled rounds that were flatter shooting, had longer lethal distances, were cleaner in the gun, had no smoke cloud when fired, and probably most important of all, to the Italians at least, it enabled the cartridge to be half the size and use a lot less resources. In 1888, the Italians were using a 10mm black powder round in their newly updated repeater Vetterly rifles, having just gone from a single shot to a four-shot battalion magazine the year earlier. That's where you get those Vetterly 1870-87s you see a lot. And Italy's next big project was looking for a smokeless round. And although the Italians were already working on it, it's rumored that when Austria-Hungary, Italy's main adversary at the time, went smokeless in 1890, Italy turned it up a notch to keep pace. So after lots of testing and tweaking with 6mm through 8mm rounds, in March of 1890, the 6.5-by-52mm Carcano round was chosen. This was the first 6.5 smokeless round We'd see Arasaka, Swedish Mausers, Dutch Monlakers, etc., all using 6.5. This was the first. So a lot like with the Japanese, with the 7.7 round and the Type 99, all the trials with the existing rifle and the new round led to the need to develop a whole new rifle. The Italians did try cramming in some smokeless powder into the 10mm Vetterli cartridges and hope it would be that simple, but apparently it didn't work out too well, and the Italians officially held open trials for a whole new rifle. They invited all the famous gunsmiths and companies of the world, including Mauser, my man, Lee, and Ferdinand Monlicker. And the result of these trials were they rejected all the completed rifle designs, which is odd, but they liked the Monlicker and block system so much that they worked out a deal, ended up straight out just paying for it, and their idea was to pair it with a home design. So they bought that Monlicker system, held an internal trial with Torino and Terni Torre Arnoziata, not saying that right. That's when Salvatore Carcano gets involved. If you go check out the CN Arsenal video on this rifle, you'll hear the whole story on these trials. But eventually, the result of the trials was the first Carcano rifle, the Model 1891 Long Rifle. This was adopted in March of 1892, and is essentially the same action and rifle as our Millsurp of the show, which came about the following year, when the ever-complaining cavalry and the unique-to-Italy Bersaglieri bicycle troops, I don't think I'm saying that right, expressed the need for a smaller and handier rifle, and in June of 1893, they came up with the Cavalry Carbine. Finally, our Millsurp of the show. Take it back, boys. All right, thanks, Tom. That was wonderful. Weird thanking myself. You're all thank you. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thank you. So that handles where this gun came from. And Kelly, we usually kick it to you now for the specs and for you to tell us what they were out of the factory and all that. But before we do that, uh, maybe it's a good idea to go over just the Carcano models in order to show where this rifle fits in, because it kind of fits in in a couple of different spots. Yeah, this one's a, a bit of a tricky one, because it's, I mean, overall, it's pretty much the same rifle, but there's a bunch of different models and sub-variants and little changes here and there and stuff like that. It wasn't, it's not like the, say, like the 1917, where it's the same, exact same thing all throughout the war. Now there are a lot of different changes in models and stuff like that, so... Let's, it's it's uh, mostly the naming and the caliber, which is weird. Yeah, and there's a little, few little subtle things like that, and there's a lot of, like, different collector terms and things like that that aren't, that aren't real words, but people get them confused sometimes. And good thing you said that, because that reminds me, I should note that we're first we're going to be using mostly the English names and not the Italian names. A lot of people get angry at that, I've noticed. And yep. secondly, there are some like, confusion and contradictions with the names. I 
read from multiple sources recently that like Italy never officially used 9128 and sometimes they don't use 9138 and it's just it's just a lot of that crap. Yeah, a lot of the stuff is just made up by collectors for right. years. It's, they just said 91 and then there's eight different 91s. And, and that's oh, 30 years, 40 years ago and it's just that's it, it's stuck. Yeah. So, we'll run through that and what you can find just like online or at a gun show or something like what what it would be generally called if you want to pick one up. Right, we're using the most common collective term. <laughs> Don't yell at us. Yep. So, all right, where did we start off? Let's see, in 1892 is where we started off. Yep, it all started in 1892 with the Model 91 long rifle. Then 1893 was the Model 91 cavalry carbine. The Model 91 TS carbine came in 1898. Mussolini jumped into power in 1922, and he starts chopping down 91 rifles to make some 9124 TS carbines. Next are his new-made 9128 TS carbines in 1928. Ten years later, the 7.35 is adopted, and we get Model 38 short rifle, a Model 38 cavalry carbine, and a Model 38 TS carbine. All right, so now here's where the confusion starts up. In 1940, the Italians decided to go back to the 6.5 round, and so most collectors started calling any rifles chambered in 6.5 from 1940 on as M9138 variants. Now, the Italians didn't officially really use this naming convention, so forgive me for using it, but these are the ones most often referenced by collectors, so I'm going to use them. So after less than two years in 7.35, the country went back to 6.5, and so from 1940 on, we had a 9138 cavalry carbine, a 9138 TS carbine, and a 9138 short rifle. The last official one was the Model 41 long rifle, 41. Now, these are just the ones used by the Italians, not including conversions of the gun that were used elsewhere. Kelly, what was that you were reading about those conversions? There's a couple of conversions. We have a Kriegoff conversion and Italian 8mm conversions. So, these were converted to 8mm Mauser. They made about 26,000 of these. So, 26,000 of the... M38 TS carbines and 15,000 of M41s were converted to 8 mil. I think this was mostly done post-war. These are pretty rare. Yeah, you don't see a whole lot of them. No. And there's some other rare ones, but we'll kind of, yeah, we'll get to we'll those get to later. Those. All right, that's enough of that. So <laughs> how about we talk specifics on the Gun of Our show now? All right, real cool. That covers all the Carcano models in order. It's a little confusing, but you can get it. Just follow the calibers. I think it's really cool that these rifles have gone from the 1800s through World War One and World War Two. It's been around. Oh yeah, they. I mean, it's a pretty iconic rifle for the Italians. You saw them all over the place. They were pretty symbolic with their folding bayonet. And so here's some numbers here. So the M91s in 6.5, they were 30 percent of the total. The M38s, which were the 735 versions, were only 8%. They only made 215,000 total in 735. And then those 9138s, after they said, you know, F it, we're going back to 6.5, they made 1.6 million. That's 61%. That's insane numbers. 2.6 million. Yeah, that's a lot. Usually the carbines are like the lesser made variants, but yeah, they, they were not shy on making these, that's for sure. All right, that's infantry rifle numbers. Oh, yeah. So those first M91s were actually a quarter inch longer than the later M38s and M9138s, but were a little bit lighter. 
there's not much internal difference between them either. They're pretty much the same Carcanos from 1890s through 1940s. Pretty amazing. Yeah, they were the same action the whole time throughout. There were a few subtle changes here and there. So they're always, they're still a six round man lecture style in block clip magazine using using the clips. Same old bolt, same old action, same old mag trigger, all that good stuff. And it's interesting to note that only Brescia made, or Brescia, excuse me, made M91s. The entire time, from 1893 to 1919, 286,000 only made by Brescia. So if you want a World War I one, gonna be a Brescia. Right, that's it. And then yeah. you would think that, though, that in 38, when the new round, that's the next ones. But no, they started them up again in the 30s before 7.35 round. Uh, just a little production time from 1935 to 1938. They made a decent amount of them. They had 223,000 from Turney, like 150 from Gardone VT, Valtrumpia, and then 67,000 from FNA, and then 60K from Beretta. Yeah, Beretta seems to make the least. So if you're looking for one of the, we'll get to that too, also, the uncommons, but Beretta comes up a lot as. An uncommon one. It's worth noting that from 1893 to about mid-war 1916, these cavalry carbines had no handguard, different front band, and a slightly different profile. There was also a recoil lug there that they got rid of. This period's also about the time that they changed the bayonet latch for the first time. And there's like nine different variations seen mid-war. So this was done on an armor level, or so it appears. There's no real official documentation until they get to the push button. So... If you're looking for a real early one, got to get before 1960. Yep. Don't just find one that's missing a handguard because the barrel band is different. <laughs> and these, are the, after 1916 to 1919, that was the same configuration they used till the end of the war. Yep. And then there was a, another change there in the 30s. So the original runs, you can kind of tell which ones are like not messed with or have been re-optional, stuff like that, by the way the bayonet latches. So there's three different types of latches for the bayonets. The original one is known in the collector market as like a slide latch or a sliding latch. It's a little button that you just slide back and forth to unlock and then lock the bayonet. And this one didn't work great because it was kind of prone to releasing under recoil, which is not great because it's a linear lock, so that wasn't very smart. So you can be shooting and your bayonet will just kind of fall down and hang there. So that got changed in that 1916 overhaul to what is known as the second type or a lever lock, which is a little lever that moves up and down to lock or unlock your bayonet. And these, you don't see a whole lot of. They're out there, but you, they're not they're not that common, it seems like. You see, it seems to be more of it. Yeah, it seemed to be a limited update from limited places. Yeah, and that was during the war. I think I said it was in 1916. It was during the war, so. And then during the big overhaul in 1916, that lever lock, that wasn't really working out either. So they went ahead and upgraded this to a kind of cross push button, that push button that goes left to right or right to left. And that seemed to be the one that really, that really worked. So you'll see those on all the carbines after 1916, it seems like. And the rearsenaled ones, they upgraded to the button. Yes, so yeah, so if they got redone, they upgraded them to the button, the push button usually. Yeah, even though there weren't many major changes during the M91 years, there's a lot of different variations with that bayonet housing and the bands, so 
these are the ones you're probably going to find a hidden gem, if any. Yep. Well, like we said before, when Mussolini took over, things kicked into gear all over the place. And uh, in 1932, Brescia started up again with their cavalry carbines in 6.5. So where Brescia was the first and only manufacturer in the beginning, in the mid-30s, Turney, Gardone, and Beretta joined in and made a whole bunch. The amazing thing was that Turney, did you mention this? The Turney in their three years from 35 to 38 made almost as much as Brescia made in all 20 years of their production. Yeah, they were really cranking these things out. They were preparing for war, that's for sure. And another thing to note, in this period from 35 to 38, all they were making was a was 6.5. They hadn't, they hadn't experimented with this new newfangled caliber of 7.35 yet. This is where the confusion comes up there's some World War One produced 6.5, there's pre-World War II 6.5, and there's World War II 6.5 rifles. One thing to note, if you're looking at the manufacturer marks, these are on the kind of the barrel shank. And World War One rifles, they have kind of a hexagon-shaped barrel shank. And this changed later to a rounded barrel shank. And this was updated in, what, 1930? In that 35 to 38 span is the consensus. Yeah, so they changed over to a simpler, rounded braille shank, less machine, stuff like that. And people often mistake this as, like, oh, it's a round braille shank, it's a 7.35 rifle. Really, it started in the 30s, so there's 6.5 rifles from the early 30s and 6.5 rifles from the 40s that have the rounded braille shank. And so Italy had that bright idea of changing calibers in the middle of the war. And they went to 7.35 in 1938, and that brought out the next line of Carcano rifles. So the M38, as it was called, in 7.35 was a little shorter and a little bit heavier. Internally, it's the same rifle. At this point, they all had the updated bayonet housing button and the bands, so these were only around for a couple of years, and they ended up making a couple of hundred thousand of them. These have the, the fixed sights except for... FNA. And they don't have gain twist rifling. And but they're pretty much the same rifle, it's just a different caliber. So two hundred thousand of the two hundred and fifteen thousand had fixed sights, and like we said, FNA Brescia maintained the adjustable sights, so that's your rare in this department. All right, so only two hundred thousand of these were made before they switched back to the six point five, and like we said, that's an M ninety one thirty eight. And those don't really differ much from the M thirty eights. Yeah, pretty much the same rifle. And they made 1.6 million of these, so these are the ones you see the most. Yeah, once, once they settle on something, they, they cranked them out. These were simple, cheap, easy to make. They could crank out tons of them. They stayed this way throughout the rest of the war. And the same thing with the FNA. They kept their adjustable sights while the others had the, their fixed sights. So keep an eye out for an FNA. But they changed their, their marking. They used to say Brescia. They used to say FNA. And by the end, they were just... They had a marking and then a serial number. That was it. Yep. Okay, so to wrap up these variations, the M9, the cavalry carbines, the M91s were the ones from 1893 to 38 and 6.5, 789,000. The M38s, 38 to 40, 215,000 at 7.35. Back to 6.5, from 40 to 44, only four years, 1.6 mil. So a total of 2.6 million. Now, should you buy one? Actually, before we get to that, we've been mentioning the markings on and off, but just to be clear, the markings, the serial, the manufacturers, they're not on the receiver, they're on the barrel. Yep. 
kind of like with uh, Mosin's, they're like right where the receiving barrel meet. It's on the, the rear end of the barrel or the barrel shank. And on that barrel shank, you will find the manufacturer, so whoever made it, the serial number, and the year, which, little note here, in 1922, when the fascist party started coming to power, they <clears throat> redid their calendar, because why not make it confusing? So these will have the fascist year in Roman numerals and the regular Georgian calendar year. And with the fascist year, it, you have to add um, uh, tw- 22 to the Roman numerals. Yes, so, to, to get so, the regular year. So you have to do math. Yeah. Game into time. <laughs> For other markings, you'll also find some markings on the stock of these rifles. So you'll almost always see the serial number on the left side of the butt stock. You'll see cartouches, so big old stamps from the manufacturers. Or they like doing that. Oh yeah, they're they're pretty cool looking. You can find some really nice ones. Or if they've gone through a refurb, they will grind off these markings and put a big old refurb stamp. And these often say Ripa Rizzoni. So repair or and they'll have who did the repair and what year and And, who it was for. And there's literally like dozens of variations of these RIP markings. Yeah, so some were like for the army, some were for others, some were done by different arsenals, different years. Some of them will say fat, which is funny, but that stands for fabricated attorney arsenal or something like that. And there's, yeah, there's a bunch of different markings. You can look them up for the stock marks. I, I recommend the Italy's Battle Rifle book, Story of the Monlika Carcano series of rifles by, uh, oh, Arundel and Woodrum, because yeah. they, they have. You know, about like a dozen pages of pictures of markings and cartouches. and Yeah, a good book with lots of pictures, which is very helpful. In color. Wow. What else do we have? Let's see. We got the the crossed rifles. People always will say like, oh, that's an accuracy mark. That means it was a super accurate rifle. Where other sources say that it's that mark just means it was like within spec. Or that mark means that it has interchangeable parts where some had hand-fitted parts a little bit. There's a lot of question marks in like I'm in my books, in my manuals. I'm looking at some at- books in Italian and translating them, and even there, not a hundred percent sure of what a lot of these marks mean. Yeah, there's some other marks like the Fair Attorney, which is another repair mark, or the Regia Aeronautica, which is the Italian Air Force. We know what those are for the most part. And of course, there's always also the SA in a box mark, which is the Finnish acceptance mark for some of those. M38s that went to Finland. Well, we talked our Carcano history, our models, our cavalry carbine, our calibers, saying a lot of C's. We also talked some production, some specs, some markings. Well, you know what time it is now, boys and girls. It's time for some dun 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 trivia. All right. Let's hear some cool collated Carcano cavalry carbine questions. Oh, are you ready, Kelly? That was that was too much alliteration. All right, here we go. Question one. A Knox form, N-O-C-K-S, which is often erroneously referred to as a Knox form, K-N-O-X, was removed from the cavalry carbine in the 30s and refers to this. Removed from the 30s. This, a Knox sounds like some machinist term. Ooh. Okay, so, oh, so machinist term... 30s 
Is that going to be the change from the kind of hexagon-shaped braille shank to yeah. the rounded braille shank? You're there. The knock. The knock form is that flat section of the barrel. Oh. Hey, all right. Very nice. Yeah, the receiver that's designed it's for proper seating of the barrel wrench, actually, during fitting and removal of the barrel. Oh, that makes sense. And they said for the Italians it performed a secondary function of a reference plane for correctly setting the iron sights. Oh, that would make it easier, wouldn't it? There you go. So yes, that was removed in the thirties. All right, very nice. Question two. The cavalry carbine were designed not for special troops, because that was, of course, the TS rifles, but for the cavalry, obviously, the Bersaglieri, the bicycle, bicycle troops, as we mentioned, and also, in great numbers, to the Italian Army dei Carabinieri force, which you actually mentioned, which was Italy's this. The National Police. Yes, correct. The National Military Police of Italy, they're a police force that can also be called into military duties, and they do. At uh, They have at times. You're two for two. Yep, and that's where a big batch of the imports, the recent imports, came from. Question three. Cavalry Carcanos made in 735 were marked with the caliber in two places most of the time, which we did mention today, so as to avoid confusion. And these were the two spots. On the stock and the rear sight. Correct. Yeah, those, the stock one wears down. If someone sands it once or twice, you could barely see it. Yeah, I actually didn't know that until researching this. Yeah, it doesn't last as long as some of the others. Okay, question four. Around 100,000 small-scale cavalry Carcano training dummy rifles were made to train the Italian fascist youth between 1926 and 1937, and most were marked with ONB and given this nickname. The Bahia, 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 Carbines. Yep. Correct. Uh, uh, Opera Nacional Bahia, ONB, was the marking, and that was the Mussolini fascist youth organization that got absorbed into a few other actual fascist party armies so it's pretty weird ages six and up there's cute little adorable baby carcanos and those are they're already small carbines and they made them even smaller right there's a number of variations apparently some are like full-on toys but other ones are capable of actually firing blanks or similar yeah they made like a special like like five millimeter blank form it's impossible to find it's kind of cool Right, and it's like a real rifle. It's pretty cool. All right. Question number five. In the late 30s, M38 Cavalry Carcanos with fixed sights were used in some trials by the Italians as they were tweaking their new 735 round. And much like much like what the Finns had to do with their M38s to change the rifle zero on these, they chose to adjust this. Ooh. Hmm. The front sight blade? Correct. Yep, they had to just change the front sight blade. The Finns went with a 150 meter zero, and the Italians had a 200. So a little, little shaving. It's not too bad compared to the old 400 and 300 meter zeros. <laughs> yep. All right, you went five for five. Pretty good. Oh, it better be if I research all this. <laughs> all right. So let's check out now 
what's out there, what you can expect to pay, and should you roll the dice with RTI or Classic Firearms or all these other guys that got boxes and boxes of these guns and are selling them dirt cheap. So there's kind of one thing to note is there's kind of like, what is it, two or three different import batches that came in in the past few years. So the, these, I mean, before, what is it, 2020, these actually weren't all over the place. You didn't see a whole lot of them because they weren't widely, widely imported. But they weren't expensive because, I mean, the Carcanos and everybody's like, eh, cocaine, is it going to suck? So they were only like three, four, or 500 or so. They had a then, bad reputation. Yeah, which is kind of undeserved. We'll get to that in a moment with ammo. But there weren't a whole lot of them. And then in, I think, I think it was 2020, there was a huge import batch from, it was imported by PW Arms. And these went to a bunch of retailers. These had 91s, these had M38s, these had 9138s, 9124s, 9128s. Yada, they had all the carbines. And these were from the Italian Carabini, Carabinieri, Carabinieri, Carabinieri. <laughs> right. The Italian National Police. They finally got rid of the carbines that were still hanging out in their armories. And there were yeah, there were fifty a years lot. later. Yeah, there were a ton of these that got imported, and they they were selling them pretty cheap. They were like hundred ninety nine bucks. Some were on sale for one ninety nine, two twenty nine, just depending on the model, two ninety nine. And and they, and they were in good shape compared to yeah. what we see. Yeah, most of these, I mean, they were just in an armory, so they were usually in pretty good shape. They got refurbed. Most of them seemed like in the 40s or 50s, and they just kind of sat around in the armory and tilted. So a little bit of, like, surface rust here and there, but a lot of these were in good shape. Fine shooting shape. Not much can go wrong with one of these if you find one. So if you find one, and these all have a PW Arms import stamp on the left side of the receiver. So if you find one of these, they're usually still pretty affordable in that two $300 range. 400 if it's something like really nice or rare and, and, how, all, and you know they're not they're not all shot out i mean come on yeah i mean they're sitting in an armory for 50 years so they should, should be fine and then we have our other import batch which is dun, 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 dun. rti royal tiger imports they found a bunch of these in ethiopia they import mark them as io inc and i think they mark them on the Barrel for some of them on the barrel, yeah, for some of them. And these were ones that were left by the Italians after they were kind of fighting with Ethiopia. And so they've been there 50, 60, 70 years in Ethiopia. Which... In, in the exact spots where they were left on the floor. Yeah, they did <laughs> not take the best care of them. So. They're, they can range from just fine, just like have a little wear here and there, to like absolutely trashed. But you can get um right now. I think they're one seventy nine ninety nine on their site for just a standard grade. And sometimes they do sales. I think I believe the flash sale now is one forty nine. Yeah, one forty nine. At one point they had like one nineteen, but these were like they specifically like had cracked stocks and were like missing the handguards. So quality range a lot. They could be missing parts. They can be rust buckets. They can have goat shit in them. And most of these are the 91s or 9138s. Most of them in 6.5. They do have some in 7.35. And they can range anywhere from 1890 dates to 1940 dates. Same with the PW Arms. Most of them were 30s dates. But there, there were some World War One guys in there as well. 
So if you have to have a World War One rifle, I think RTI is probably going to be your best bet because you can you can buy one that is guaranteed to be pre nineteen eighteen. Or 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 the way I would do it is just find one in person, or just do like a gun broker auction that you can look at the specific rifle you're buying. But you are going to end up paying more money that way. So as true. We said before, but like we said, it's such a low percentage that are World War One made that are still around. You have to start thinking about rolling the dice on these cheap rifles. Yeah, it, it's a gamble. If you get one from RTI, you could make out just fine, which a lot of them have been fine because there's plenty of them. And but some of them have been kind of rough. They're a lot of them are like missing hand guards, or will have like the magazine all gummed up or cracked stocks, things like that. But I mean, it's a hundred and fifty bucks on sale for a Milser rifle in twenty twenty three, which is unheard of. Okay, so that's the common one. 80% had fixed sight, so it's probably got a fixed sight. Gardon made 65% of them, so chances are it's a Gardon. I mean, you really can't go wrong. If the price was 400 and 500 we'd be singing a different tune here. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I haven't personally got one from RTI, but I probably will next time they have a flash sale. I'm not endorsing them. I'm not shit-talking them. I mean, it is, it is a gamble because condition varies widely. Well, I have purchased a gun from RTI, and it was covered in goat shit and bugs and dirt and all the worst things imaginable. But I do have this to say, and this is what I was going to say later about Royal Tiger, but I'll say it now. For the noob and the new collector, it forces you to take apart your entire rifle, every pin, every band, every nook and cranny of that gun you have to clean out on an RTI from the Ethiopia cache, of course. They do have other guns that aren't from there that are clean. But once you clean an RTI gun, you're a master of that firearm. Yeah, that, that's certainly one way of looking at it. You know, by covering it in goat shit. <laughs> yep. So if you're looking to buy something and take it to the range the next day, don't buy an RTI. <laughs> right. Now, the for the professional uh, collector, you guys know what you're looking at. Look for the flash sales, and you know what? When the price is right, the price is right. I mostly see big-time collectors go to RTI just for that rare model to fill a void, like an 8890 or something like that. I haven't heard of too many people spending over 1000 there, but somebody's doing it. Not too many. I hope not. As far as RTI and the cavalry carbines that are covered in goat shit, well, the price is right, the price is right. Clean it up, you'll be fine. Well, yeah, for sub 200 bucks, it's worth it for shits and gigs. All right, be prepared for the hate we're going to get for recommending any kind of purchase from RTI. Just saying. You know, I'm, and I think that Gochit preserves wood. <laughs> um, if you actually, when you do clean it up, it's not rotten. Yeah, and, and it's, I haven't heard any big complaints about the bores on these. Some other rifles, they were pretty trash, but for Carcanos, it seems like they didn't see too, too much abuse, so they seem to shoot okay. I looked at recently uh, over a dozen RTI purchases from people online. Nine out of ten times, the bore had rifling. It was just filthy. Yeah, and... None of these boards are going to be perfect. People are like, oh, if there's pitting, it's worthless. No, mail serves, almost all mail serve rivals probably have a little bit of pitting in the board. It's not a big deal. All right, that wraps up the common ones pretty much. So let's talk a few uncommon ones. 
anything in 735, I mean, it's only 8% of the total rifles made, so that's pretty uncommon. Yeah, there weren't a whole lot of those, but good luck finding ammo. <laughs> yeah, right. There's and... only like one or two places that have ever made ammo. I think Steinel and PCI, which don't buy PCI. And so some of the more uncommon ones are the Beretta-made ones and the Type 2 bayonet housing ones. Mid-1943, they stopped the arsenal marks, so it's kind of uncommon to find those late ones with no arsenal at all written on them. It's just thousands, a few thousands of those. And then the 9138s that still had their adjustable sights, they only made a few thousand of those. Yeah, I have the numbers here. Oh, 20% had adjustable sights. Okay. So total. Not so uncommon, but not the most common. Right. And none of these are particularly expensive. I mean, there's some people that like really collect these and want to get all the variants, but I mean, for now, they're still all pretty much the same price, all relatively cheap for Millsurps, all around that two to three hundred dollar mark. If there's a really good condition World War One or earlier one, I've seen that go for a nice penny. Yeah, those can go in, into the five hundreds. It seems like just because you know this so old and what they went through to be in such good shape, but. Yeah, if you can find like a World War One or pre World War One that has all its original features and like never got refurb, that's a good one to get. Those aren't you don't see too many of those. Right. If we're talking about rares now, finding the early ones with no handguard and a different band and good luck. Sliding sliding latch one. And the um nine thousand were those FNAs and seven three five, so that's a good one to look for too. And also, the, uh, you mentioned those Trombacino, the grenade launcher rifles. There's some stocks that were used, M38, even the cavalry carbine stocks they had used that they then repaired and, and issued out with another rifle. Yeah, so you can see like the little cutouts in the side of the stock. That wasn't, that wasn't above adding a sling or anything. That was actually where the Trombacino was attached to the rifle, which you don't yeah, see too cool. many of those. And those, those Trombacinos were only on like the 9128 carbines. But it seemed they took some of those stocks and cut them down to put them on 38 carbines, which is weird for repairs. And that's one that could sneak by. Someone could look at it and think it's a busted-up rifle with repairs, and it's a cool piece of history. Yep. I've seen, I think I've seen two or three of them get posted like on forums and stuff like that. And then when you look up rares of these rifles, the most rare of all of these, like Mussolini guard rifles, you see, and some of these gold-plated and engraved rifles. Yeah, you don't, you don't see those out on the market that often. <laughs> no. So none of the extra rare ones are going to sneak down to you. They're very obviously going to, you know, they're, not, they're very obvious what they are. And then in the post-war, we mentioned some were converted to 8mm to sell to different markets. Like in the Middle East, they had a lot of 8mm out there. They did about 35,000 of those. You see them every once in a while. Some people are like, oh, they'll blow up, they'll blow up. I haven't heard anything of them. I mean, they, I mean, these rifles are already like kind of light. I won't say flimsy, but they're not dirty rifles for sure. And people are like, oh, it can't handle 8mm, which I haven't really seen any evidence of that. I mean, they're plenty strong action, so. I specifically looked to see if people would give examples, and I saw a lot of people say don't shoot it, but not no one giving an example of it blowing up. Yeah, so I think proof. that might be kind of FUD lore, but eh, if you're worrying about it, just put some lighter ammo through it, some Remington 8mm or some hand loads or something like that. 
All right, so that's most of the gun there. That's the specs. That's the market trends. Let's take a quick look at the ammo for a sec. We mentioned before we recently purchased some newly made ammo from a new company, Costos Curios, but PPU still makes regularly, and and so you can get it. It's not as hard as people say it is to get, but it's not that easy. It's not unattainable. It's just popular right now because of all these imports. So whenever it comes into stock, it flies off the shelves, but it, it does eventually come into stock. It's not some caliber that hasn't been made in 30 years. And even even back in the day, there was some surplus around. Right. So where are you on that? Shooting surplus? Is there a certain cutoff? You, you stop shooting it? Yeah, so for the surplus ammo, it seems like all the stuff I've seen, which I think I got, I've gotten like a couple boxes from like 1940, 1939 kind of era. A lot of them aren't the highest quality. I would try a couple of rounds, but some of them that I've like just kind of taken out and played with, the bullets actually like spin in the case neck, so they didn't get like a proper crimp. You like move them up and down. So I don't know about those, but I mean, if I found some like nice stuff, I wouldn't have any qualms shooting it. And reloading, I haven't reloaded this, but a bunch of my buddies do, and they're constantly tweaking their 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 reloads, so it's they're able to get a lot of all the available resources, it seems. Yeah, you can, I mean, dies are easy to get. You just get brass by buying some ammo and shooting it. Uh, bullets, that is the kind of key thing for Carcanos, and part of the reason everybody talks about how inaccurate they are is the bullet size is actually a .268 inches, whereas every other 6.5, pretty much, 6.5 millimeter, is a .264 inch bullet. So because the companies that made it, namely like Norma and PPU, they didn't want to make a whole different bullet just for one caliber. So they just reloaded 264s into their Carcano ammo and send in a 264 down a 268 barrel. It's not bad for it, but you're just not going to get that much accuracy out of it just because it's undersized. So you need 268. Is that hard to get? They're not the easiest to get just because not many people make them. Hornady makes some, and I think a couple other manufacturers now. PPU finally started making some 268, so you can buy them from them. So you can get the proper bullet size for the Carcano. You do have to buy a proper size neck shaper for your die. If you have Lee, they come with a 264 neck sizer, and then you have to buy a 268 neck sizer to properly size it, or you can just cram a bullet and shave it. Well, I've never heard anyone that I know reloading 735. Hmm. Yeah, it's that one's a weird one because it is a it's a thirty caliber roughly, but it's again the Italians just had to be weird. It's a true thirty caliber, so it's a point three zero zero bullet, whereas most other thirty calibers are point three zero eight, so like a three oh eight or like seven five Swiss, that's a point three oh eight. And then the like Russian calibers or British or Japanese, those are point three elevens for their thirty cal. So once again the Italians they have their own unique size, which I think there's one or two companies that make .300 bullets. It's not common just because there's not a whole lot of demand for it. But the dies do exist. Brass is not common, but I think you can convert it from other things. I'd have to look up from what from other cases. But it's possible to reload for. It's not anything crazy difficult. But basically, 6.5 is a lot easier to get, to, re- to reload, to find everywhere. That should be yeah. a choice. If you just want one gun, try to get a 6.5. Yeah, there's four or five different manufacturers that make 6.5, and I think only, like, Steinle and PCI make 7.35, which I said earlier, we'll say it again, don't buy PCI. They've been known to have rampant quality control issues. 
if you have some other ammo, just assemble it and reload it yourself. Now I have PCI, so thank you for telling me. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it was a, it's available and it was cheap, and I was like, oh, but I did hear about it. Like, uh oh, so well, I'll, I'll fix it. You can also there seems to be a decent amount of seven point three five surplus out there for not crazy expensive, like a dollar around, and all of that surplus seems to work just fine. Yeah, I grabbed a few boxes because the boxes are so cool. They have lots of writing, Italian words, and different little shapes and pictures. And so, as you can yeah, see, you I'm can, a box guy. I like them. Yeah, you can usually find a box or two of surplus Italian ammo at a gun show, whether it's 7.35 or 6.5. All right, that's it for the ammo. And usually we go to our bayonet talk, but in this case, the bayonet is attached to the rifle. So pretty much the question is, how much are originals? How much are repros? And if they're available? Yeah, so it's kind of in your best interest, probably just don't buy a gun that's missing a bayonet unless it's a really good deal because originals are like 50, 60, 70, 80 bucks to get an original bayonet. And that's you like half the sure price you, of the rifle. You got to match your lock type too. So there's three different things you can mess up there. And I think re- they make reproductions around like 30, 40 bucks, but you might as well get an original. But overall, just buy one that has a bayonet. Right, for this price difference, too, I go for the original. But, yeah, get what get what with a bayonet. There's enough of them. I, I, I know often people say that it's missing a lot, but I don't see them missing that often. Yeah, I see a few here and there, but, yeah, most of them seem to have them. All right, now the slings, we were discussing that there was a, uh, like a World War One type sling and then a World War Two type sling and then a few yeah, little variants so, in between. Of course, the Italians can't make it easy. There's, I think, no. three or four different types of slings. So there's, in general, there is a wide sling, there's a slim sling, and for the slim slings, they either had prong buckles or roller buckles. So for the, specifically for the cavalry carbines, they're going to be slim slings, and these are the ones that go on side sling swivels, which all cavalry carbines should have. And if you want World War One, it's going to be the brass prong buckle ones. They have like, the, it'll be a brass buckle and a brass little button on the end. On the leather, right? Is it? Yes, and they're they're all leather. And then if you want a World War II sling, it's going to be a slim leather sling, but it's going to have the iron or steel buckle button or roller. All right, so that's like the, the big difference then, right? That buckle? Yeah, and then the brass. Because I was looking at a bunch of photos, and they started to all start looking alike, you know? Yeah, then they changed over from the brass to iron during World War One. So if you find a buckle sling that's iron, but you have a World War One gun, it's not entirely wrong. But this is for reproductions for originals good luck there's not not many out there not a whole lot survived or they just got taken off or they rotted away there's not a whole lot of original slings out there they weren't really like there's not a big store of them they weren't kept in good condition or anything like that so if you find one great definitely get it they're not cheap they're like minimum 100 bucks it seems like for originals but reproductions you can have them they're anywhere from 20 to 30 dollars just depending on which type you get and like I always say, get a couple of repros so you don't want to risk your old slings snapping. Yeah, that would hurt. All right, and, and as far as the parts, the bands, the screws, the cleaning rods and all that shit, Sarko and, you know, all of the normal... Apex, Numeric. Apex uh, and Numeric, and yeah. They're not too terribly hard to find because there's been a big wave of the import, so a lot of parts came with it. Uh, some things like original cleaning rods aren't the easiest to find because the carbines, they had a three-piece uh, cleaning rod that went in the buttstock. Oh, yeah. And those aren't the easiest to find, but I think there are reproductions out there. 
And then for all the small, part, small parts, you can usually find them. Handguards are a little hard to find, too, because people are wanting those for the rifles that are missing them. Nothing's, if you search around for a little while, you could eventually find most of what you're looking for, it seems. Yeah, it's a good, easy rifle to collect right now. Right, so that's good. If you're looking for your first Carcano, not bad. You have a cheap one that you can replace all the any missing parts that you don't know until you clean off the goat shit if it's on there. Yep. And one last accessory will be clips. You got to have a clip to fire these because they are man liquor style magazine system. And they either come in brass or steel, which they are reproductions of both, or you can get originals of either. And most of them seem to work pretty well. Some can be a little finicky if they get like bent at all. They're pretty sensitive to bending. You got to have, you got to make sure they're not bent or they won't feed right, it seems like. Yeah, and some repro ones are a little thinner or flimsier and they bend easy and that's it it can't feed right yeah and original original ones aren't hard to find they, they're about like seven eight bucks right now and uh rti is giving you one free one with, <laughs> with every purchase at least you get one so don't forget to look for it in your box i heard a few people threw them out oops all right boys and girls it's time to spin the wheel of milser the Wheel of Millsurp has a bunch of Millsurp categories like would you rather this or that, buy or pass, make this trade, etc., etc. And so, Kelly's going to answer. Let me spin. Here we go. Today it lands on buy or pass. Ooh. Okay. Very simple. I'm going to give you an option, but you have to decide immediately. It's like a guy ran up to you and said, quick, do you want this? And you have to decide, buy or pass, all right? Here we go. Guy tells you he has a 1938 Beretta Cavalry Carcano in 6.5. In fair to good condition, no major cracks in the stock, but it has a frosty bore, strong rifling. He wants 475 with 100 rounds. But I need to know, now, 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 do you buy or pass? I think I would buy. Ooh, he's in. Because I know Berettas are not common, and the, that 100 rounds of ammo really pushes me over the edge. Because the ammo right now is not cheap, because it's so popular, so it's like almost 2 bucks a round. So there's $200 in ammo right there. Right, that would be good. Alright, on today's Wheel of Milser, buy or pass, it was a buy. Alright, and, and as far as, I always ask you this, but as far as condition, if something's collectible and cool and all that how far poor condition do you go with the rifle as long as i can shoot it i'll still buy it i mean as long as it's not like totally trash like big old crack in the stock and gouge taken out of the bore and the barrels bent or whatever but so you need to know you can shoot it yeah i don't mind like some crustiness and a little bit of rust here and there and definitely seeing some shit type look i don't mind that at all yeah, I'm the same way. As long as I know it can be fired, even if I have no plans on shooting it, like if it's a rare gun or a rare caliber. All right, speaking of shooting, let's talk a little bit about actually firing this rifle. As far as uh, recoil and muzzle flash, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's a pretty fun one. I mean, it's a very small, very light gun, so you would expect it to recoil a lot, but it, again, it still is a 6.5, so it has like a lot of flash. It's pretty loud. It doesn't really kick that much. It kind of feels like a 7.62 by 39 or something like that of a AK or SKS. It, it's not hard at all, but it's still, you know, it's there. Right. Like some of the small, some of the ca- smaller calibers feel like 22s sometimes because it's so balanced well and 
Yeah, like absorb some recoil. Swedish mouths are like a full length one. You can barely tell you shot it. Right. But this one doesn't hurt my arm. It's no mule kicker, but it is a, uh, I know it's there. Yeah, it, it definitely draws some attention with that fireball out the front. And like we said with the M block clips, um, a few of mine, I had a few issues and it was the clip. I just changed it to a different one and it fed perfectly. So it's a little, yeah. f- a little finicky. They, they can be a little tricky. Uh, one of mine had like a, a weak uh, follower arm in the magazine. So they like wouldn't feed the last round. I had to push it up from the bottom. But that was it. <laughs> you had to push it up. Yep. Just stick my finger in, in a little hole. There you go. That's where the hole's there. Yeah. All right. And I mean, oh. same, same kind of feel as any other Carcano. The bolt's gritty. It's not that smooth. The triggers, eh. Sights are, eh. Just like any other Carcano. They're not the finest made rifles in the world, but they work. Right. If you've used a lot of Mausers and, you know, beautiful rifles, you uh, tend to think it's a clunky bit of a mess, but it was serviceable enough to not have to be changed for two world wars. And Yep, it, it persevered. So, all right, let's wrap up a little bit and see what we learned today. We learned that the Brescia made all of the Cavalry Carcanos during World War One. We learned that uh, FNA never stopped making adjustable sights. We learned that the 6.5 was made uh, most of the time, and over 80% of the Carcanos, Cavalry Carcanos. Gardone made most. They went to the round barrel in the 30s, not in 38. We went over our bayonet latches. And we had the different handguards and different rear sights. We talked all our different Carcano models from the 91 long rifle to the 41 long rifle. I think we covered everything there is with this gun. And if that wasn't confusing enough, just wait till our other Carcano episode. It's a frustrating collector's world, but I bet the, the satisfied collector is the one that has all of them. Yep, that's that's the solution right there. You just got to have one of each. <laughs> and it wouldn't be too expensive to get one of each either. And with 2 million, 2.6 million. I mean, with them being two hundred to four hundred dollars, there's no excuse not to get one. Oh yeah, this would this is a good rifle to either start off with or just add to your collection if you're on a budget. Might not be able to shoot it immediately just because it'll be a while before ammo is like really commonly available. Just wait for a a castos drop or keep checking for a PPU run. They do run about once a year. All right, you got to keep up on it. And also, once again, I recommend the book. Uh, Italy's Battle Rifle, story of the Monlicker Carcano series of rifles, very specific title. Oh, and also uh, CN Arsenal, their videos on this. He, they, uh, you know, Matthias as always goes into some great stories on the design and some interesting production details that we didn't get to. Oh, yeah, and they got Worth videos it. on the long rifles and the different carbines as well. All right, I think that was it. Go out and buy one. Yep. See ya. Bro.